Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host, Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Go. Oliver is the Harry Potter obsessive behind Oliver's Brighton, the award-winning wizarding shop. Still in his 20s, Oliver has managed to create a magical environment that JK herself will be proud of. His story is also fairly magical. He started out selling mobile phones and then became an estate agent. When he set off for a trade show in China, he did so expecting to find the next big technology. It didn't work out that way. Sitting in a bar, wondering why he thought it was such a good idea to come all this way looking for ideas, he stopped thinking about his next big step and picked up his favourite Harry Potter book. Then it hit him. Whoa. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hello. How, how nice to be here. Oliver, uh, we're in Ray's basement, which is an exciting place to be, isn't it? Congratulations. So, you just um, completed the the ceremony. How was that for you? It was It was interesting. Uh, we don't talk about the ceremony, incidentally. Okay, that yes. Just stays, stays there were secret us. details to it that I can't reveal, but... Um, yeah, no, it was it was different. It, it certainly makes your mind think, and uh, <laughs> it's unusual in a yeah. good way. So yeah. I, I'm going to have a go at um, saying a bit about who you are to start with, and then I'm going to say you you tell me how you introduce yourself. But you you are um, the owner of um, an independent wizarding shop in Brighton um, that's won a number of awards and um, and has become. I guess um, a, a real destination for people that are particularly interested in the kind of things you do, which you, I'm sure you'll talk about in a moment. And um, you haven't got an experience of uh, of being in retail in particular. All of this is still reasonably new for you. I think you've been open for just over a year and a half-ish. Um, and you're going to tell us your story. So let's start with um, h- how do you tend to introduce yourself to people? Uh, I say that I own a, a wizarding shop. Most of that inf- information was correct. I've only won one award, okay. unfortunately. Uh, I'm hoping this year I will win a second award for customer service. So instead of Brighton's award-winning wizarding shop, it'll be Brighton's multi-award-winning <laughs> wizarding shop. But, uh, but we are second on TripAdvisor uh, of all the shops in Brighton. And uh, we have over a thousand five-star reviews. But yes, I introduce myself normally as a, uh, I own a wizarding shop. That's, that's basically it. And then people go, well, what does that entail? And I say, well, I sell wands and chocolate frogs and many other uh, essential enchanted Harry Potter-related products. Yeah. And let's let's get the Harry Potter bit out of the way, shall we? Because the the, the, the shop is definitely a destination for people that are really into Harry Potter. Mm. Um, and you are—you have a relationship with Warner Brothers. Uh, well, in the sense that they're, they're aware of my shop in a, in a positive way. Um, the main thing is that we are completely independent. Uh, with nothing to do with Warner Brothers. Out of politeness, of course, I contacted them when I had the idea, and to to check that I wasn't stepping on any toes because they are the giants and giantesses of the the wizarding world. Uh-huh. So um, we obey by all the rules that would not upset them, and that's what I always want to 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 be. And uh, so far, hopefully, we've done the things that they wanted to not upset them. And, g- and give us an idea of, so as it stands today, um, what what the, the typical person that would come to the shop and the experience that they're likely to have? Uh, it, it really varies on who comes to the shop. So it could be someone as young as eight uh, who lives in Brighton, 
to a 65 or 70 year old lady or gentleman from Newcastle uh, or it could be someone from Portugal as a family uh, so it really does vary so I wouldn't say there's no generic person that the only kind of consistency will either a they love Harry Potter or b they're curious I yeah. think that's probably the two uh, things that sum it up and it's not an age thing there's not a, a demographic of gender there's not a demographic of type of person we get people from all over the place and very different personalities but the one thing in common is they they, they love you know they love harry potter and anything magical and you've got all kinds of really interesting um products in there but you've got some very sort of high-end um i thought it was ones for several hundred pounds but it's not that is it it's props yeah so um i vary with what i sell i i don't want to sell just the generic stuff that you could find in any old shop um we, we do varied uh prices you know there is the lower ends but then predominantly there is the collector's side so you know for instance we have all the ones from the wizarding world there's roughly 80 and they they were about 33 pounds upwards but generally they're 33 pounds and then you've got the high-end stuff that you mentioned there such as uh, the Godric Gryffindor sword, which is around £200, which is a real actual sword replica from the film. It's identical, comes on this beautiful plaque, all the way up to maybe a mini Hogwarts castle that's hand-painted as a statue, which wow. is around the 300 So it really varies. There's about, yeah, 700-plus items. And the, the whole idea is I didn't want uh, just just generic products, you know, I'll just like, I don't know, just just generic i wanted something different and unique and people walk in they go i've not seen that before yeah and well fair play to you because we've we've been there ray haven't we and yeah uh, what, what did you make of the shot i was surprised <laughs> uh, i just didn't expect it to be the way it was it it's it's it feels like it should feel um <laughs> it, it it's um just go and see it that's all I would say. You you got to go and see it because it's a it's an experience. And check out the hidden toilet behind the bookshelf. What you yeah. come to? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, that's already uh, just f as a background. Um, we didn't know each other before this conversation. I I came into the shop. It was really, it was inspiring to me standing in your shop because it's not like most shops. It's 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 just it's the attention to detail, the positioning. Um, the how niche it is there was everything about it was saying to me this is this is curious and interesting then we got chatting and it was really clear that you uh, it was a good chance i thought you were going to have quite an inspiring story to tell um and so it'd be great to get into that story and find out a bit more about you and what led you to um to that path in life and and, and being what you are today so take us right back to some of the earlier moments tell us a bit about um where you started and um and can you just sort of take us on a journey from um how did you end up doing this so starting from the moment i had the idea about the shop is that well let's let's go back further than that and then and then tell us about how how that moment happened it'd be good to understand a bit more about your upbringing um school um first job sure. just take us through a kind sure, of yeah, pot, um, potted history of your life uh, some of my life within a, an hour period yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah so i i did school i'm originally from portsmouth um, school, obviously a big part of your life, unfortunately was not entertaining for me. I felt it was very boring. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the teachers, not all, but in my school, I'm not generalizing all teachers, but unfortunately a huge amount of my teachers in school, you know, followed by the rules. It, was, it didn't make lessons fun. They were doing a job that unfortunately was very strenuous and, and stressful for them. So maybe they weren't enjoying their life and maybe that was very 
uh, much portrayed in lessons. Uh, so that was a big thing. I, I found it very boring because I am not a person to sit in a classroom. There's lots of people out there that can happily sit in a classroom environment uh, at university or college or high school, whatever it may be, and they will listen to, to the, the people talking and they will absorb it. But I don't absorb information like that. And I always knew from even year... I don't even know. Year seven, well, year seven onwards. I mean, I remember selling plums outside my my mum dad's house when I was about eight years old. So that would have been junior school. Mm. So even from that point, I I knew it wasn't just about money. It was just about creating something. So school, as I said, it just there was a, and then the rule thing was mainly um, you know you got to have your uniform, you got to have your top button done up, you got to have your shirt tucked in. That's what's important. How you look which is a terrible thing to, to dictate to children initially anyway. You've got to look a certain way. That's ridiculous. I mean, that... <laughs> but anyway, moving on from that, and, and I think a lot of the higher-end teachers didn't like me. Um, so, that yeah, school wasn't great. I was It was instantly like, this is not great. It wasn't helping. No one was nurturing. No one was really, uh, you know, showing me what school can be. So straight away, my mind was like, well, I don't like education. Education is not what I want to do. And everyone was thinking, well, I'm going to do college next and I'm going to do university, like the norm. But when it came to the college choice, so we finished year 11, I thought I would look at doing college because everyone else was looking mm. at doing college, such as friends at the time. And uh, I remember the the day where I did my induction of lessons, uh, where you kind of, yeah, it's like an induction day where it's basically saying, this is the lessons you've chosen. This is what you'll do. You'll start in a couple of weeks or whatever it is. So on that induction day where I went and I chose the generic um, kind of stuff, you know, I don't even know what I chose, media, design text, I kind of liked carpentry on your hands-on in school and something else, I can't remember what it was, it was that long ago. But on that induction day I'd finished and then I was walking through town, it was Haven't at the time because the college everyone seems to be going to from Portsmouth was Haven't College. And I walked through the Meridian Centre, which is the shopping centre, uh, which is not... <laughs> The nicest of places, but it's there. And I walked past uh, O2, uh, which is a shop, obviously, that sells mobile phones. And uh, I saw in the window, it just said, uh, looking for full-time salesman or sales lady. And I thought, wow, okay. And that had a, a certain figure for money and there was commission. And I just thought, oh, that's a, that's a shit. I'd like to, you know, get in that. Because I'd done jobs before working at cafes when I was younger, maybe 14, 15, the local calf and, you know, washing dishes. But I'd never done a salesman job. And uh, I went in and they said, we've just finished interviews. But if you want, you, you could have an interview now. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry because I was wearing a hoodie and stuff because I'd just gone to college uh, for the induction day. And they said, don't worry about it. I think they did say, actually, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. It's about you. And I think that was always <laughs> a, a beacon of <laughs> so this almost, is different. This is, yeah, okay, great. This is very different. I might like this. Yeah. yeah. And I sat down. And I, it was the re, it was a, it was a franchise. So I think it was the franchisee. It might have been and the manager mm -hmm. or the assistant manager. Anyway, process went really well. Interviewing and I somehow nailed it. And just, I don't know loads about mobile. Phone. I know a certain point at that age about mobile phones, and I would have been about seventeen-ish, maybe no, sixteen. So sixteen, yeah, sixteen years old. And uh, in the end, they just said, okay, yeah, thank you very much for the interview. And uh, I thought nothing of it because I thought, well. You know? And the next day, they rang up and they said, we'd like to offer you the job. So I had a choice. I could start college next week or I could start working full time. And, um, and, and to be clear, the, the easy choice at the time, probably the expected choice was go to college, go to uni, get a proper job. But, there was, there was, but you didn't make that choice. No. You, you, you ended up taking the sales job. Hmm. Why? I think at that point, I, I like to do things differently and I saw life 
not I'm not saying that I'm unique or nothing, but it's more like I do see life quite differently than the generic. So I think at the time everyone was settled on college, 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 and I I think I was entertained by the fact uh, that I could be doing something different. You know, why not? Why not I go get a full time job and start earning money? I was still at home at the time, so I was 16, but I was just like, well, money in my pocket rather than do education. Yeah, that seems like the more fun because I hated education anyway. So it's just like, why continue something? Because at the time, back in my day, uh, <laughs> the college was an optional. You didn't have to do college or an apprenticeship. Now the rules have changed and children who leave school have to do apprenticeship or college, which is extended education. So you've got to be in education till about 18 uh, legally now, which, uh, which obviously at the time is different. So yes, yeah, so I thought let's take it. And, and, and what are the people around you um, say your parents friends at the time they yeah. were like okay I mean they already knew I kind of like as I said didn't like education and they're just like yeah it probably makes sense I think to be honest I think that's what they felt and, and again mum and dad have always been like quite you know very supportive and positive and they said if that's what you want to do do that you know and the way I think they always looked at it is that if I didn't like it then college is always there it's not going to make a difference also the range of friends I had at the time was they were a year below so there were some people in year 11 still that would go to college so I guess I could join them if I really wanted to to college next year but yeah and maybe it'd be useful to take a minute to say a bit about your your parents um, their attitude towards life and their role in your decision making yeah I think um, out of both of them dad is the the one I'm, I'm very uh, most similar to definitely and uh, he he's a very uh, an entrepreneur. He's been doing business. He did the same, really. He moved to Spain with his family when he was about 13, I think it was at the time, in a place called Javier near Alicante. And his family, I think, were there for a few years and they decided to go back to England. He actually felt he didn't want to go back. He kind of wanted to stay there and he loved Spain. He was working at bars and stuff and selling... I think he was selling melons on the beach and a range of jobs. And it again, seems he, to be a... Uh, did you sell you some mel melons once? Bananas or something? Oh, no, I picked bananas. Oh. No, no. <laughs> that, that was different. But I'm just thinking about Oliver. It was plums, wasn't it? You were yeah, selling plums. plums. Yeah. 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 All about Your the dad's selling melons. It's uh, Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't become a gringo grocer, <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think we were the most similar. And he's one of his favourite things, uh, or biggest things he's done was... Uh, a company that was called Wiggle, which was to do with uh, bicycles. Oh, and yeah, he was around the time yeah. when the internet came about. And for one reason for another, he got involved in that. And he was one of the one of the first major of selling online uh, bicycle-related items and then progressed, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I get a lot of points from him. Mum's mm. a great person, but she's not necessarily the same as Dad in the sense that he maybe see certain things differently in the work and stuff. I think often uh there's a balance if you if you have both parents and they parent you to you know your your early adult years mm. there there tends to be a balance between um what what you what what you take from your mum and your dad so if i'm hearing you, hearing you right you, you you for your dad you're you're getting some level of business acumen um risk profiling um the, the fact that it's okay to go and do your own thing you know mm. the, the, and, and maybe some salesmanship and and there's a whole load of other things that sort of probably sit beneath that but what would you say of your mum uh again uh, positivity i think you should just say look you know if that's if that's what you want to do do it okay <laughs> that yeah. was it really i don't i think again i think she just knew that i wasn't a normal child out of the children she had okay. so it was kind of like if he wants to do something a bit weird or a bit different that's that's probably normal anyway for him anyway <laughs> yeah Sorry. yeah i mean that and that's having parents that are like that is not 
always the norm. No, 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 of course. But I think also at the same point, if they had said, oh, don't do that, I probably would have wanted to do it more anyway and I would have done it. So I think... And I'm they just, probably knew And they probably knew that. Yeah, that's so right, exactly, the more they yeah. progress, if, if they didn't agree anyway. Yeah, let him make his own mistakes yeah. is probably exactly. the way they were thinking. Yeah. Uh, e- even if, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen, but yeah. it, it'll be a learning experience. Yeah. Can, can we just take a moment to talk about how were you supported financially <laughs> by your parents well at the time when i was around that age obviously like most people at 15 16 i was living at home um and then after working at o2 for a long not that long a period i think it was up to a year i'm a very good saver i save i, I can set something in my mind i will save it you know if, I, if i've got the opportunity to go i think even at the time when i was a kid like if, if someone was going to go buy a new game or or go do an activity i was thinking well i'll weigh it up yeah. i'm not saying i didn't enjoy my life I had a great time till now but sometimes i'd be like well i'd much prefer actually just saving money so i i knew that i had to save money to progress in lots of things and that might have been drilled into me from young of it's not all about money but money does obviously at the end of the day put food on the table mm. so at the time i was saving a lot from o2 and then when I left O2, because unfortunately managerial experience of the lady at the time, she was terrible. Uh, she was terrible manager. There's about five members of staff left because of her, which was a real shame because the assistant manager and the franchisees and all the other staff were fantastic. And everyone actually got on really well, even though they're all really different. Uh, but she pushed everyone away, which is such a shame because it shows so how much importance someone in a hierarchy situation, a manager or a head teacher, mm. if they're not good people will it would disintegrate so uh, anyway so i left there because i discovered in emsworth uh, they were how did i discover it I, I'm, just, I'm quite good at memory normally i think it was online i think i was looking for new jobs because i was like you know oh two's great but actually i hate this manager now just like i hated school so i don't need to stick around and i think that's always been a thing in my mind you don't you should never do something for a long time maybe a one-off now and then but for a long time so that you don't enjoy so what is the point? Mm. So anyway, so I found this uh, interview process uh, through Gascoigne Peas, which is part of Countrywide, which own a huge amount of estate agencies across the UK. And um, it was really weird because that was so different because they were two, I did the interview in a hoodie and uh, I'd never been a estate agent. I was 17, just about to turn 18. That was it because I I just done my, I'm just trying to work this out. I got my driving license ready. Yeah, so it was literally... When I was applying around the job, I was just about to pass my driving test because then 18, I'd need a car, etc. Anyway, so I went through this process and um, with the estate agency process, it's very hardcore. Like there was like three rounds of interview processes. You know, the first, the meet and greet, then you go through, then you have a team thing. And then finally, I remember the third one after going through all this process of just trying to be me, just trying to be positive and trying to be confident about it. And at the same time though, you know, I was still young. I was the youngest out of all the people auditioning or trying to get into this job. I was nervous as hell inside, you know, I don't know what I was doing. I had to buy my first suit um, <laughs> from my Moz Bros or something. And uh, I remember the third round, it was narrowed down to only a few people and you met, I'm trying to work this out now, the guy, the guy that owns Countrywide, you go meet him, and it was in Cowplane. I'm just trying to, I've never, I haven't thought about this for years. And he was there, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was there, and you got to meet him. And that was the deciding point or something. It was really like proper um, apprenticeship Alan Sugar well, style. Well. <laughs> so, anyway, so you go through and you meet him, and somehow my dad knows he talks to anyone like I do. And somehow I think he knew him in a positive way. Like 
he'd met him once maybe or something at somewhere maybe it's to a business or whatever and he really liked my dad so that was helpful <laughs> but i think more than anything somehow i impressed this guy and then later that day or the day after they rang me up and they said well, we'd like to offer you the job in uh, emsworth and you can become a trainee it was a trainee because i had no experience except the phone sales um a trainee estate agent at the age of 17 but the cool thing is in emsworth um, the houses around there, some of them, because where Sussex are dear as, and we're mm. talking million pounds, over a million, you know, average is normally about half a mil. They've gone up since. So that was really intriguing because then suddenly I was going from selling a phone contract or a phone for 100 quid or whatever to selling something that's like a million quid. <laughs> so I was like, whoa. Um, and the, the manager of that was David uh, McDonald Woods, and he was a brilliant manager. And that was a real massive part, I feel, that really kind of, it made me learn um, so many things. Because I was still young, I was still partying, and then at the same time I moved out of my parents because I got an opportunity to move somewhere in Portsmouth. Um, a friend of a friend who had an apartment available, and uh, yeah, I moved in there. So it was all going on. So I moved out, I got a car, uh, managed to almost savings for that car. So I put the money because you didn't get a company car at the time. So I got a car, set Ibiza, <laughs> which broke after a year, which was terrible. The axle snapped in half. Anyway, so that was great. The manager was great, and I was there for a few years. Sorry, okay. I've gone on a tangent. No, 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 it's, it's fascinating. And mm. but, but we we were talking a bit about, um, I guess finance and dependency on parents and and, and you, you've said something around um you, you wanting to do this yourself and what i'm wanting to save and wanting to make your own way mm. so um at this stage did, did you did you feel as though you're you're kind of living life on your own terms yeah 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 that that was that that's the thing i wanted to no offense to them you know family are awesome and that but I, I, even at that time if even the 16 plus i want to just leave because i knew that it's just that thing in your brain as well dad had left and he was really young and it's that whole being on your own thing i quite like a lot of people are different people are very family people sometimes and they yearn for the family concepts and they need to be with their family i was a complete opposite i really respect them and i love them and i think it's amazing what they've done for me but for me to get on my own situation was like exciting because I, I almost kind of was like progressing further ahead than maybe my friends I wanted to get on my own feet I wanted mm. to be able to go buy dinner I wanted to be able to take a girl out and, and pay for food rather than uh, not and go oh mum dad can I borrow some money you know and I knew a lot of people at the time I think were getting you know a lot of people who would make it on their own uh, in the sense or they were, didn't it, it, have a lot of money it sounds like um, there's a there's a even from an early age there's a strong desire to be independent I mean you mentioned about you know your shop Mm. being independent and it sounds as though you wanted to be independent you want to stand on your own two feet you wanted to work stuff out yeah i think at the time i knew i wasn't an actor i knew i wasn't a ac academic i knew i wasn't a singer i knew i was i wanted to sh i wanted to do something that made me stand out or do to be noticed really i think that's probably the kind of slivering part of me from the, the houses of uh, Hogwarts that I wanted to to stand out and make something mm -hmm. and I think that time where these little chapters now thinking about them even just in this conversation was so liberating to be able to then yeah I'm like you know I remember I was like 18 like I mean yeah loads of people started to go to university and stuff and I'm buying like <laughs> like a sofa and I'm just like and all my mates like what are you doing I, like, I need a sofa and I'm like, well, where the hell do I go get a sofa so I was learning all these things and uh yeah and then that the state agent job was a real turning point because I'd gone from a bad manager to a great manager 
and he taught me lots. And there was not in a, a nasty way to him, but there was faults that he had, which I noticed, which then I avoided. So almost like I felt that I took all the goodness from him in the setup, but also then the things that I noticed that maybe I thought were wrong, I then did the opposite of what they currently were doing. So almost made the the best version of myself in the estate agency world, mm. where it's basically don't, you know, just, just avoid certain things. But he was great. So, I mean, that was an education, wasn't it? Yeah, effectively. But it was my type of education. It was a raw education. It was an education where you learn as you did it. rather yeah, so learning than Learning by down. doing. Learning yeah, 100%, by doing. hundred yeah. percent. Rather than go to a state agency college if they do. I think they even, I think they do do a degree or something. I think you do go. It's like, wow. no, man, you just... Go in a house and talk about how lush it is. I mean, it's not hard, is it? I mean, yeah. the stage has got a well easy job, except the stress. The stress is there. Definitely. And having to wear a suit. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so let's let's fast forward a bit. Um, so you're at this stage of your life. It sounds like you're learning by doing, as Ray said, and you're 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 cut you're cutting your teeth. And um, at what point do you start challenging yourself again? At what point does it become uncomfortable? Um, I've I've left. What was it? How, I don't even know. I might get confused with the setup, but I left. I left the the estate agency job because it was great, but it was at the same time it was a bit, and I got a bit confused. I think of what I was doing with my life. I think I was still about eighteen, no nineteen. I'd done about two years. I was about nineteen. I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. No, I'm still eighteen. Sorry, I'm trying to work this all out. Like it's so funny. Anyway, I was still eighteen. It was the end of eighteen. I'd done the job for roughly two years because I started when I was seventeen ish, and I got to the point where it was great. But I just, it wasn't right. And I was like, I yearned to go on adventure. Yeah. So I decided around that point, whatever age it was, around the 18 point, I decided to go around the world. So I booked with my savings. I got rid of the flat that I was renting. I left that, put my stuff in storage and parts of my mom and dad. I quit the job on good terms. So I said to them, look, I love it here, but I need to go. I based on, I need to go on adventure. And they said, that's fine. And they knew I was young anyway. So, and they took a chance, which was great because I learned all that and I almost took it with me, you know in a kind of yeah, again sliver and nasty way but anyway so i left and i went around the world and i went to um certain places like uh, across america australia the generic asia um fiji and that was cool because again it was that whole independent because i went on my own and then i came back uh i don't even remember your question now. i'm so sorry Can I just, <laughs> yeah, just 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 to stop you there because so you went by yourself Yes, yes. And I, I mean, I, I went off mm. when I was 20, older than you were, 22, mm. 23. Um, but I went with my brother and a mate. And I couldn't have done it by myself. Mm. Uh, but I know people who have done it by themselves. And I, I, yeah. I, I, I am in so much awe at that age of people who are able to do it. I think it's it's a real wow thing. And it isn't what most people can do, I don't think. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Um, it's so, like that whole moment you know, so you're jumping you know you're on the surfboard or not surf but the diving board and you gotta you gotta take the leap and i did i booked it i went for this company and i booked it and once you book the flights that's it because you go for the cheaper version so you can't cancel them so you're like we've got to yeah, do yeah. it now your hand you notice in <laughs> aeroflot yeah so you're ready and uh yeah that was that was a freaky moment i remember the because the first place i landed was bangkok and i remember just getting out like whoa and bangkok like even at the time when i was there so that's seven eight years ago that was crazier than it is now because there's it's still crazy, but there's a lot more rules. But mm. apparently, like, back in the day, you know, the 80s, the 90s, that's where it was raw as. But I'd still in a, a raw point. But when I arrived, it was so mad. It was like, wow, this is crazy. And it just it just opened my eyes, you know. It wasn't about, oh, I'm the backpacker, you know, gap PR kind of thing. I'd worked my ass off, and I'd wanted to spend my money, and I wanted an adventure. Not that I wasn't going to make money from it. 
I was going to make memories without sounding too cheesy. Mm. And, and how quickly did he meet people? Straight away. I think you just, you know, I'm a very talkative person, so it's quite easy. In the backpackers? Uh, yeah, in the backpackers. I was in a bar, actually. I think I, I had to wait for check-in, and there was a dude, and then we, he, I think it was the same situation. That's the great thing with traveling, especially in the Asian area, especially Thailand and Cambodia and all that. You go, you'll meet someone mm. who's in the same boat, most likely, especially Bangkok, because it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy place, but I love it. Uh, anyway, so I did it. I did all that. Went round, learned some stuff, met some people, create some experiences of myself, create some stories, and then I came back. And then, how long were you away for? Only not long. It wasn't like long, long. It was like a six month because okay. I didn't want to go away for too long because I knew at the back of my mind I wanted to still work. You, were, you, weren't, money. There. you weren't earning money as you went. No, you I didn't do the Australia travel. work. Yeah, yeah. I um, I just visited it. So I had a choice. I was going to do the Australia thing, but I liked Australia a lot. But it was very you know, you go there, you work in a bar, you work on a fruit picking farm, you're going to go drinking and all that. And that's great. But at the time I was like, no, I don't want to do this. Yeah. So, but it was still really fun. So I came back and in between different situations, because I've done tons of jobs, that's when I did loads of different jobs. So I did like, I went back into retail because I was just like, I don't want to mess anyone around. So I did like, I worked at Marks and Spencer's for like a season period when I got back. So I wanted to get some money and I was like, back at my parents. And then I was at uh, Next and then I was at, somewhere else and then i wound up at curry's and curry's was interesting um i feel i might have got this completely wrong around how i've done all these jobs if i'm honest don't worry nobody's gonna check it out yeah exactly (laughs) you can't remember curry's yeah curry's that i nailed again at some point in my time and you know but it's that whole thing and there was no commission you send loads of stuff what were you looking for so you so so you you said you were looking for adventure Mm. and then you went off traveling had some adventure yeah and then you come back and there's a need to to find yourself again, make some money, establish yourself. Yeah. But what, what were you looking for? I just wanted something I could grow in. That's the thing. Mm. I think a lot of these retail concepts you can't grow in. Uh, or they're just boring, you know, and that's the thing. And I wasn't sure what I wanted. And I had a panic. I did have the panic in those years. I remember of going, should I have done new education? Because there were certain jobs I probably could have done easy, I think, in my mind, or learnt to do. But they would not take you because you didn't have a degree. Mm. I didn't have A-levels. I had like, a couple of GCSEs. Mm. So I was like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> am I going to have to go back? But I felt in my mind, no, because that's a step back. So then I moved to Brighton because my friend, my best friend, best friend now, Connor, had a spare room in his university accommodation. And it wasn't a room. It was like a cupboard because they couldn't class it as a room. This is Harry Potter-esque again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it wasn't under the stairs, but it was equally terrible. And uh, he said, do you want to move in? I said, yeah. So I came up and I loved Brighton straight away. And that was roughly eight, nine years ago. And I loved it the minute I got here. And the biggest contrast for me on Brighton was when I was in Portsmouth uh i was walking down the street with a trilby hat and uh like simon out of the in-betweeners and yeah i might have looked like <laughs> like an idiot and it might not have suited me and i'm wearing my rubbish clothing and all that but i got shouted out three four different times by different groups like oh right, old man or oh granddad <laughs> and then the the minute i moved to brighton we went to have a drink in the lanes and a guy was walking along a very old man with chaps uh chapless pants and um <laughs> people were just looking and going yeah yeah, whatever. Not in Battle Island. It was like that is the contrast. Tell us about the Trilby hat. So uh, was that <laughs> was that ill conceived or was it actually? Um, yeah, where where did that come from? That came from I think Top Man. I mean that <laughs> just came. That was just a you know again trying to peacock, but actually it wasn't peacock and it was more. But yeah, that was another way. <laughs> well, you, well, you, 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 you you're different. That, that, that's <laughs> it, isn't it? Yeah, if you, if you were, the thousands of other people were in. Was that, yeah. well, no. but, but I guess the question is: Was that you trying to be different, <laughs> yeah, or was that you expressing that I am different? 
I just wanted to wear a hat. <laughs> so I think it's probably it's probably the latter. It's one of those things that I'll try. This is before in between us. I remember just like seeing it in a shop, going, "Yeah, I'll, I'll wear that hat. I'll try that out." Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that that was the contrast for me. And and then from that moment, that that just that first week of Brighton, even though I was looking for jobs again, and I got a job immediately in um, Shoe or Shoe, whatever you want to call it, in Churchill Square. Uh, back in retail but again i knew in my mind i wasn't gonna work there forever i knew that every time i got a job and they they didn't this is the hilarious thing i think that's where you learn you learn how to perceive yourself you don't sit in an interview and go yes i'm looking to do this probably for a couple of months then find something better you're not an idiot if you're not a fool you can get any job most of the time so you sit down and you go i love the concepts of this shop love working in a shop no i don't i don't work love working in a shop i already knew i hate it i already knew i wouldn't like it but it's money in your pocket rather than having no money because you need money to live. Um, and during that time, please stop me if you want me to move on, but that time at Shku, it, again, it hit me in the head because it was like, I was good because I knew, I knew I'm good sales. Selling shoes, selling shoes isn't that hard because you come and you try them when you like them. But, you know, they said recommend sell 50 pairs a day. I sold 100 pairs a day on average just because I was good with people and maybe they yeah. thought, I don't know, you know? Do you, and you, you know that it's interesting hearing you say that because it, it's become more and more clear to me as we got to know each other that you're, you're good with people. But <laughs> was that always the case? I think so. Yeah. I think, I've, you know, don't get me wrong, there's been parts and stuff I've not got on with people maybe because they just don't like me because I'm a little different or something. I got bullied about it. But apart from that, I think you just learn. I think you learn. And also, I was such a different crowd so I used to hang out with. It was very variety. It wasn't just the kind of geekiness that I am with my main group. There was other crowds where it was more like laddish mm. or more cool. And yeah, I'm not saying I can be cool or can be laddish, but you learn. You know, if you're talking to a guy on Halen Island and he's like a bit of a lad and he's like, all right, mate, you know, and all that. And you're not, I'm not going to be like, oh, hello. You know, like <laughs> in my normal tranquility voice where you're trying to pronounce it, you just... It's not just about the way you talk. I'm probably perceiving myself as an, an Egypt. No, it's now, flexibility. Yeah, you just learn. Like, and you know, I'm mixed with different variety. I love. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. Like, it doesn't matter if someone could be an absolute crazy loon who doesn't care about life or whatever. But I find them interesting. I might talk to them. When you might get some completely different person who's in. He's a hedge funder, and he, I don't. And if he's a little interesting, I'll talk to him. I think if it's basic, if I can adapt like a chameleon sometimes. Yeah, but, but it's also a way of learning, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. Because if you hang out with those sorts of people, you you learn. I mean, it's pretty much it's sort of why we do this. <laughs> you know, yeah. we like talking to people. We like learning from their stories. Um, okay, all right. So, so what what happens then? Because it sounds as though at that point you are looking for something. You're looking for a goal. You're looking for some purpose. You're looking for some meaning in what you yeah you're doing. Yeah, and. Um... I was looking and looking and looking. That, that's what I think frustrated me at the time. I remember being that time. Like, I just wanted to quit school because I was just like, but I'm not one of those. I don't want to quit and then be stuck because I had a rent. I had to pay rent for this tiny room or whatever you want to call it, cupboard. And I had to feed myself and I didn't want to ring up dad and go, hi, dad, can I borrow? Because I don't like that. He's done his thing and they've helped me. Don't get me wrong. There's been points where they have helped me out a little bit. Like any really nice parent, if they have the yeah. availability of helping someone. But most of the time, ideally, I don't want to be asking someone to do it myself so i was looking and looking and looking and then suddenly via i think it was gumtree it was probably that because that seemed to be where jobs were but they were rubbish anyway and gumtree's for the weird and wonderful jobs but get uh what's the name of the company brand vaughan brand vaughan estate agency was advertising for a job which is an independent which stuck out a little bit uh estate agency in kemp town of brighton so i thought you know what 
I'm good at estate agency. Let's get in that. Let's get some moolah. Let's get some money. And I went to the interview and it turns out with them, very different, it is commission only. So I thought, you know what? And they go through the different structures of what you can earn and you get a car. And I was just like, I'm still at these university houses, but this would be great. This would be a great, I know, again, I knew at the time, I knew I didn't want to do it forever, but I could do a couple of years at least and get some bank, basically. Let's get some moolah because that's what you need to do stuff so i worked my ass off there like really worked and they were great managers and the stuff they were great managers they were different there was a lot more dog eat dog it was a lot more of a dog eat dog station because it was commission only yeah uh, and they had a bit of a reputation to be but they had they knew what they were doing they were great estate agents mm. okay yeah they might have some different uh how they play it and stuff but um the guys that own it they know what they're doing and they, they've grown an empire which they're doing right now so again, I knew at the back of my mind I wasn't going to do it forever, and I worked and worked and worked. And again, I chose. You know, sometimes I party in the because ha- I was at university houses, so you can't avoid parties. That's the thing you live in in one. But you know, the, the houses were proper university. I was like minging, but you know, I thought, you know what, that's fine. I'll do that now and then. But then suddenly it was hilarious because I could go, and, and I had a bit of money behind me, and in a nice way, not in a big-headed way, but you know, I could take <laughs> just take the guys and go for a bit of food or something. You know, it was just nice. Um, but again, I knew I didn't want to live like a student forever mm. and I knew I didn't want to be an estate agent. So I was there for roughly three years, I think off the top of my head, but I, I, it wasn't, I think the time just slipped through in a good way because I was working and what you worked about six days a week and every time you did a sale you build it and you build it and I was lucky. So your motivation, just to be clear here at that point was money. Yes, because not that life should be about money. But no, for but my at that plans, point. yeah, hundred percent, hundred. My plans at the time was like I need money to do stuff and whatever it is. I don't know what and I want to do. You didn't know what it was. No, I mean, I, I think part of me was like maybe I could do my own estate agency or maybe I could do this forever. But I knew I didn't because it's, it's stress, it's stress. You know, people hate each other and all that. Anyway, so that went on and on, and I built up a lot of um, good sales because that's what it was, commission only. So I just was very lucky and did well. And then I managed to get myself on the property ladder, um, which was awesome. I do want to jump jump in and, and ask you about your attitude towards luck. Mm. So tell us how you feel about luck and, and fate. I feel, I feel you, I know what you guys think. I know you, you think that fate isn't there and you build your own luck, which I agree with. But it's sometimes I think it's the way I inter- interpret luck is it's a situation you can create, but at the same time, it's it's kind of like, making the most of it it's these little glimmers of these opportunities of something that's a bit unique or you've got a situation and it's taking hold of that so i think it's luck in the sense of being lucky that you can see these little glimmers of opportunity so i think it's almost like you're lucky with your mind almost so i think i thank myself that i saw those things to came yeah i think it is about spotting the opportunities mm. you know i think lots of people those opportunities are there they just don't spot them yeah um but or, I, or they don't even turn into opportunities because um the the individual doesn't take the actions necessary to create the opportunity yeah uh, absolutely but but it's also i think when you've experienced variety like you have mm-hmm. you know you've got lots of groups of friends you've worked in lots of places okay they've predominantly been retail and and estate agency but but there's lots of different people you've worked with there Mm. suddenly that that's what what develops your behavioral flexibility that's where you you that's how you create 
yeah these opportunities and how you spot them i felt that i was zoning in that's what i think it was your kind of my my vision was zoning <coughs> in more so maybe that's where i believe that luck was is that mm. and i think the analogy that i want to use is that you see an opportunity or an ember like in a fire and you just you blow the crap out of it yeah. like you just issue yeah. that i gotta make that work yeah. that's it and yeah, i remember yeah, yeah. at the time like that job i wanted it so bad because i was like I don't know if I'll get another opportunity to make as much money as I can right now at this mm. one point in life. So I was like, I had to get it. So I put all my all into those interviews. And again, there was a big process of interviews and they were very selective and I was lucky. So I was like, well, they've given this opportunity. Let's do it. And there was some flaws that I noticed with several people like life. But then you you learn about different flaws or you, you, you progress maybe on kind of making that. It's more aware to you. So now you think, well, I'm going to not do that you know maybe i'm not gonna party as hard like some people maybe have done at the time when they worked there as well yeah maybe i was like no i'm gonna i'll try and not party as hard and just just work hard okay so you're on the property ladder what have what have you bought i was very 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 lucky and that that word again is <laughs> amazing isn't it not this, only yeah, it's yeah, not really just about really the money lucky. i was <laughs> very lucky in the situation that i had a fantastic dad and mum that helped me in the sense that i built up enough money for myself I need a little bit more and also guidance. What is the best mortgage for me and stuff? So mm. that's that's where I was lucky because if I didn't have them at that point in time um, and be able to pay them back those little bits that I did do, then that was the luck. So I managed to get a four-bedroom eco build, um, which was hilarious because that was because it was on the top of Elm Grove. So that was cheaper than buying ah, a one-bed or two beds more centrally. So again, a business mind, I was like, well, for bed, I'm going to rent the free rooms out. Mm. So not only will I really quickly pay off the little bit of money that I had to borrow from my parents, but I'm going to make profit. So suddenly I'd rented out the rooms and I made <laughs> They were paying ridiculous money. It was like, it was, but it was a lush house. They were paying about 600, 700 each a month, but it was a beautiful house. It was a cool house. So there was the right professionals that wanted to do that. That was their choice. Um, so that was very lucky. Again, that was uh, that. And, and, and again, energy was there. So I was working as a state agent. I had the house behind me in a, in a positive financial situation uh, because it's immensely difficult for anyone to get on the housing ladder, especially my age group. It's impossible yeah, for most Especially people. in Brighton. Yeah, so that's where I feel that I am extremely lucky in that regard because... I, I know loads of people on the property ladder mm. from age up to 50. That's really unfortunate and that's not fair to them because it's a very different world right now compared to what it was in the 50s and 60s and beyond. Um, yeah, so anyway, so I'm doing that and I got to the point of, again, a state agency was, was great. I'd done all that, but I knew I just had to leave. It was at one point three years later, I was like, let's just, let's just rent the whole property out. I rented it all out. I'm going to go away and I went traveling again and I hit Asia predominantly yeah it was asia and a couple of other little random countries and stuff but asia was the main one i was just in asia for a long time like cambodia thailand and that because they're so different and it's very raw there obviously and it's so rural but at the same time they're very outside the box thinking uh and that was beautiful just just yeah stunning i was there for again it was a six month period because i felt that was like a nice it was like five or six months just been a bit less so i came back a bit early for by it. yourself again uh initially i went with a, a previous best friend which we're no longer best friends uh <laughs> which is to do with that holiday that's another story i went with someone at the time i thought was my best friend but again there was a learning curve because in the last few years you learn that you you don't unfortunately always see the eye you won't always be the same person well the only thing that you can be certain of in this world is change 100 percent, and people change not 
not everyone changes together. Yes, or you realize things that I learned a lot that I was kind of like focusing on a group of people that actually weren't what I wanted in life at all. Yeah. Um, that's here and all there. Uh, so I came back. Where the hell was I then? When did in, it, it was Instastack. Oh, yeah, was I came like, back. When, when, did, was that the, around yeah. this kind of so time? The, again, I won't go into my life story, but I came back and I started working at a Sea Life Center. Okay. Because <laughs> I remember coming back and I was like, I don't want to do retail again for a while. I want to do something random. And I kept looking for random stuff. And I remember I applied for Cinema, Sea Life Center, and uh, the Pier. And I got offered the Pier, not the Cinema, which was really disappointing. So I think it'd be great there. A little popcorn on that. But uh, I got offered the Cinema and uh, the Pier uh, to work on the amusement <laughs> in the, the arcade and that, or uh, Sea Life Center. So I went to Sea Life Center one because it was funny, because the interview process was the funniest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, the brief snippet of it, because again, I, I know we're aware of time for podcasts, but I know you can edit. Um, we the don't Life Center. We, we don't. Oh, we don't. Oh, no, no. I'm no, okay. no. Uh, Sea Life Center was a group of 40 people, and you had to do three things. One, you had to um, pretend, uh, what was your favorite animal, or what was your favorite sea creature, and why? You had to bring in a prop. And you also had to do a speech. That was it. And oh, I'm not fantastic. good at public talking. I, I, I'm still not great at it. I get nervous. That's the thing. I'm good at it, but I'm nervous. Once I start, I'm okay. And I remember I went up in front of these 40 people, real range of ages of boys and girls and that. And I did the speech and I, I did it. It was all right. And I got the job there. And I did six months there. I'm trying to be careful of time now. I did the six months there at the Sea Life Center, which was fantastic because it was a terrible job. It's a terrible environment. The Sea Life Center is very depressing. There was no light in there. Mm. And I and I know some of them are rescue fish, but a lot, they shouldn't be there. I'm sorry, it shouldn't be there. And I don't actually believe that Merlin, who owns them, is not a good thing, in my opinion. Uh, it's great to see, but it's not good. And they used to have dolphins up till 2000 or whatever it was I've got got rid of them and very fond memory of an early birthday where uh, <laughs> I sat in the boat and the dof- dolphin dragged me around the, around the pool oh, savage yeah, I made know. me it's feel great, great the time. Time. exactly I hadn't not questioned whether dolphin. or not the dolphin had a good experience <laughs> exactly. I definitely did and I kissed it afterwards oh, oh you love that lucky dolphin um, but yeah and I did that and I did talks on the bottom ga- glass bottomless boat and uh, I did turtle voices and this animated animatronics thing where you sat in a cave like five hours and then you had to like do a voice of an animated turtle and interact and that was fun because I realised I think at that time I realised I like doing something different but mm. also I like interacting with people I'm having a laugh and I, I got to the point where I left because I had enough again I was like what am I doing what, why the hell am I actually here it was minimum wage it was rubbish so I left but on the day I left I was sitting there and I remember and I'm just trying to work out where I was I was in the mesmerist and I just had a drink with my friend and at the time this is I don't know how many years ago, and I'm really bad of time and dates and stuff, but it was the time where photo booths were coming out in bars. Like, um, there, was one or, there was one or two in Brighton, and there was one in the Mesmerist. And it's a very clever couple, I think it was at the time, that made these booths. Mm. The whole idea is you sit in there, you get a photo, you pay four quid. And I was sitting there with my friends, and I just, someone mentioned, and we got in a conversation about Polaroid. And I loved, I loved photography as a child, and I, I always found photography fascinating. And um, please stop me if I've gone well. No, 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 it's good. And, uh, and I was like, talking about Polaroids. And I just Googled, because that's the great thing of Google, isn't it? You just Google it, see what's going on. And I was like, what? what is Polaroid doing now? So I Googled it, and I found this camera, and it was called the Polaroid Z340 Instamatic. Something like that, Z340. And the whole idea with this camera was it was a digital camera that you could take a photo of. So compared to the original Polaroid, where you took a photo, it came out. Mm-hmm. You took a photo, and you had a choice. You like the photo, you print it, on this 
um, zero ink paper. So the, the, the paper is very different than the original Polaroid, mm. but it still develops. It still prints out. It's still like, whoa. Mm. Um, so it was really unique. And I was like, I just had this moment of like, well, hang on, what if I, I and I just, I, I just started ranting to my mate and I think we were a bit tipsy. And I was like, what if I just went around like and offered people photos and then if they like them, they pay for them. Like compared to the photo booth, but I would be the photo booth. And he was like, and the camera at the time was like 90 quid on Amazon or something. And I was like, I'm just going to use my savings. I'm going to buy one. I'm going to buy a bit of paper. And then I was like, but why? Then you got to think, why would a venue allow you to be there? So I, I talked to the manager because I brought it up to the manager and I said, look, I've got this, I've got this idea. Um, I think I said I do weddings. I think I made up a load of rubbish. But I was like, I do weddings at the moment. This is at the Mesmerist. Yeah. And I was like, I do weddings. <laughs> I've never done a wedding in my life. And I was like, but I've got this uh, photo booth uh, idea that I met around at weddings. And I, kind of just, I just literally talked about my idea. And then she went, yeah, it sounds kind of cool. And I said, well, what I'll do. And I was thinking on the spot. I was like, what I'll do is I'll take the digitals I take. And as the positive for you guys, I'll put them on Facebook. So you're getting a free photographer, but I've got the opportunity of any money. And Lily, this French lady at the time who ran the uh, Mesmerist, the manager. You didn't know her? No. She just went, uh, yeah, cool. All right. I'll run it by the big boss, this guy called Ollie. And they went, yeah, okay. So Mesmerist was quite funky. So anyway, so I started on that Friday night. The, the camera came the next day. I played around with it. I was like, all right, this is easy. And I, bought, <laughs> I went into town and I already had like a white shirt and stuff and some braces from someone's wedding. <laughs> and I just thought I'd make myself vintage because I was like, that would stand out. And Mesmerist was vintage. So I went around. And I literally I thought, right, just just balls out basically about excuse my French. And I went up to a group of people and I just said, Hello. And they were like, Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's this guy again, Trilby, but it was like an old like nineteen twenties hat. And I was wearing a waistcoat in that. And they, I think people were just like baffled, like, who the hell they obviously thought performer. And I was like, Um, my name's Ollie. I'd like and I just rolled out and I managed to get this after doing it a few times. Um, of this thing and this is my premise this is how I operated so I got to people from about 7 or 8 o'clock so they would had a lot of drinks and I go hello and there'll be a group of 8 of them and they go hello and I'll be like oh I'd like to introduce myself if that's okay this this wording like came in like a script mm. and people go um, y- yeah sure and I'll be like oh my name's Ollie uh, I am a, a Polaroid photographer and what I'd like to do for you today is I could take a photo of you and your gang and if you like the photo which I'll show on my camera you can buy it here and now. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, what, like now? And I'm like, yeah, it'll print out. It will develop. You can have it. And they were like, okay, how much? And I'll be like, so I think at the time I was doing three pound a photo. And then they were like, okay, cool. So I did, I did the photo. And this and is, this is before the days. So this, this model probably wouldn't work. Well, maybe it would work today, but, th- I but think this, it definitely people still didn't would, have yeah. camera phones in their pockets. Yeah, they, they, no, no, no. The camera phones were available, but it was just the, the ability oh, to okay, have so something physicality. So I'd yeah. have a little cheeky example in my pocket. Got it. And that's the whole thing. Guys and girls going a night out. And that's why the photo booths at yeah, the time yeah. were coming so popular. Because suddenly it's this whole digital age. Digital, yeah. digital, digital. Yeah, yeah. I'm drunk. I get a real photo. That's funny. That's going on my wall. That's the way uh-huh. I look at it. So anyway, so I did the photo. And again, please stop me what, if what was the What was the typical acceptance rate? So for, for the for the spiel, yeah. well, taking uh, the picture. What about eight? the first one? The first one they said, yeah. Because I think they thought I was just stumbling a little bit. And they were like, all right, cool. And I was like, I think I was honest. I was like, this is my first... I said I normally do this at weddings or something. It's my yeah, first yeah. one. And they're like, cool. So I did the photo and this is my first night. And I remember I had a satchel on, which again is probably why my back is so bad nowadays. It's one of the things, but the satchel was quite heavy. So I had loads of camera film and batteries. Anyway, so I took the photo and they looked at it and the group of girls were like, I really like that photo. 
And I was like, okay. And I was like, would you like one? And I went, yeah, what if we get 10 or something or eight? And I was just like, just really quickly in my maths. And I was just like, okay, eight times. Uh, I was just like, I'll do the lot for 20 quid. And they were like, okay, cool. So then they all just chucked on the money on the table. I print these photos out, which took on average 20, 30 seconds. I just stood there, had a little chat. Um, and then and then I was like, sugar, this is sick. So then suddenly, oh, wow. I was literally going from table to table to table. Like, all right. And they were like, what? And then people would watch me do it. Yeah. And, and then sometimes pull you people, over. I want you to do our photo. And I go, well, it does cost if you like it. Yeah, it's fine. So that was just like mad thing. So that was happening. And then I would do that at about five nights a week. Like, because people drink in Brighton no matter what. But the energy, I mean, it, I don't think a lot of people could do it because I think it kills you. Because you, I was having a lot of energy drink at the time. <laughs> and I was like a lot of coffee. And when you had a set, you had to be like, you had to be with it. Mm. You know, you had to be fun. You had to make them laugh. Mm. I started learning to, to, to make like really lame, like not just jokes, but just, you know, I take, when you, you learn how to play with people in a nice way, you know, mm. judge, but sometimes like people like a little bit of piss taken out, but in a nice way, like a fun way, a playful way. Yeah. Um, just be weird. And they liked that. So that happened. I did that for a good old few months. Did that, um, was that your full time thing? Yeah, that's so, all I did. When, what, what, like, what did you make from it? Money wise, yeah, enough. I, I don't, I don't know exactly uh, figures. But, but like, uh, what a typical evening or something. Uh, uh, overnight, I could be lucky enough to maybe take two hundred quid plus, maybe wow, three hundred okay. quid. But the brilliant thing, the paper wasn't that dear. Yeah, the batteries were rechargeable, so all it was was my time. And I wasn't paying the, the the companies to be there. But they got something out of it as well. They got the photos on the yeah. internet. So then Great. suddenly people started noticing me on Facebook because it was like now and then I put a caption. I was called Polar Snap. Um, and then suddenly I started getting asked to do weddings. I did weddings for a while, but I hate, I don't like weddings. Uh, weddings are very, ugh, for me, I like going to a wedding, maybe getting drunk, but it, weddings are like, they expect people doing the service. They, they expect service, yeah. not saying everyone, but they want people, photographer. The standards are high. Yeah, yeah. they want high. Yeah, and yeah. you know, it's a bit lame. It's too cheesy for my liking. So I stopped doing that. And then suddenly one day I got a phone call from someone that worked for, go from my mind, Now TV. And now TV, we're like, we're doing something in Wales. Uh, we noticed, because I did a website, I made my own website really simply on Squarespace. And they said, we want you to, um, would you like to come do your photography? Because I did mention I do events. And they were like, we want you to be uh, the alternative photo booth <laughs> for our Wales events, three days. And they named some mad figures. And I was just like, no, no, give us a quote. And I, I just went mental. I just give us some crazy quote. And they were like, yeah. Right. And then I was like, oh my God. So then I went, I got a hotel from them. I went and I was with these uh, lookalikes, like, um, uh, who was the Batman? Uh, Har- no, was it Harley Quinn? I don't think it was Harley Quinn. It was like Batgirl, Batman, uh, and a few others. And it was like, it, the whole idea was, it was actually for Tesco's. All these Tesco's employees seeing the new products or something. Wow. It's something really unnecessary in my mm. opinion. And I did three, four days there and I, I made a killing. I was like, well, this is mad. So then I started like, applying myself and brands started ringing up. Amazon, Dune Shoes, um, a couple of beer companies, uh, a couple of energy companies, uh, energy drink companies, and it was just crazy. It was great, but then it was that whole self-employed life, ups and downs. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. every day. Suddenly you're going down. Then you've got to go to the bar. Then you've got to sell some photos there. Then, yeah. then I was like, oh, should I get some staff? Then I had some staff. And then I was like, I don't know if I need staff. And then it was just like, it was a whirlwind. It was a tornado. And, you, and you're, on the, you're on the stage, aren't you? Yeah, you, you've got to be top form 100 yeah. percent. like yeah. i am in the shop now you've got to be top top form so again i'm so sorry i'm, I'm going on a tangent here but that that will happen that was great 
And then eventually I got headhunted. I'm trying to shorten it now. Fujifilm contacted me because I changed cameras. I changed from that camera to a mobile phone. I changed to my iPhone. And I put the iPhone in a vintage camera because <laughs> I realized that there was a lot of issues with that Z340. Mm. So Fujifilm released a printer called the Instax Share SP1 printer. Very catchy name. <laughs> and uh, the whole idea with the printer is it worked with your phone. So then suddenly that was easier. I could filter it. It was better. Uh, so I put the phone in a camera case, like a vintage case that you hung around your neck. I had some portable batteries because obviously smartphones suck at battery life. And then I had my uh, printer. So I started doing that for a while. And then suddenly Fujifilm got in contact and were like, we want to meet you because you're what you're doing is you're advertising that share printer like wildfire. That's what you're doing. We've heard about you, want to meet you. So I went and met them and I did an event for them. And they wanted me, what was it? They wanted me to do a show uh, the at the massive one in Birmingham, which is the NEC. Mm. And it was the camera photography show last three, four days. And they said, look, we've got loads of people that work at Fujifilm, but you seem like you've got passion about Instax and we want you to be our rep for Instax. <laughs> so I was like, cool. Yeah, that's sweet. So then I got that. And at the time I was in the process of buying, I just bought, sorry, a VW camper van. Because that, for me, gave me transportation. Uh, it was cool. It was vintage. And I thought I could use that as, like, backdrops and stuff like that. Anyway, so I did this event. That was great. And then Fujifilm were like, well, we've got these other events we might want you to do. Then I decided I'm going to create a job. So I pitched to them. It took a long time and a lot of energy. But I made a job. I said to them, I want to be your Instax guru. I want to go to festivals. And I want to advertise your stuff grassroots and i want to go and be the youthful face of your instax for the united kingdom i want me to be your monkey that basically goes to these things where young people are or goes to festivals or Take goes the product to, to them yeah and, and, go and advocate show how cool it is yeah and they were like after a long time they're like right, okay yeah we'll create the job so we created the job wow. and then the vw became the official instax vw that got wrapped her name was Pepper, but we wrapped her. I asked if it was okay. She was like, yeah, it's all right. She was 1972, so she's an old lady. So I had to be very uh, polite. And uh, did that for a few years. That was amazing. And that was the most recent before this thing we're going to obviously talk about now. Wow. Okay. Sorry. So, <laughs> what, so, so what, what happens then? You presumably come to the point where you sort of think, well, <clears throat> this isn't a lifetime thing. This isn't this isn't my thing. Yeah. You've got a lot of uh, I imagine very valuable experience from from doing that. Certainly in asking for what you want. Yeah. I, I just uh, want to pick up, I want to pick up on something where earlier on when you were saying when you're making the decision about uh going to college or not. Mm. I noticed that you said I wasn't going to be an actor. I wasn't going to be a and yeah, then you went I, on and said some other careers and I thought it was them, it was a really interesting choice it, it's meaningful the fact that the first thing you said was actor because what it says is that there was obviously some thought process around maybe aspiring to be an actor yeah, what's definitely. interesting is well, you, you become an actor yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but you also so, you also said earlier when you went for the the job that the uh, the estate agents that you went for an audition. Yeah, audition. yeah. yeah it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's <laughs> definitely something. Subliminally. Yeah. There's something going on here. Yeah. yeah, I'd love. I mean, one day I'd like to do stand up, things like that. But that's another story. But um, anyway, yeah. So uh, it, it came to a point because it changed. My role changed. It became very corporate. Fujifilm's a corporization. Sure, sure. You know, that's how it is. So I suddenly went from. You lost I got, the, I got the, sued. The, I got sued by Polaroid, so I had to change my name. Uh, it was Polar Snap. I had to change my did you, name. Did you actually go to court, or was it? Uh, no, it nearly it got to that. the point of like going further, and really? I had solicitors back and forth, back and forth. But they had millions of pounds because Polaroid is now owned by um, 
a body of a, a company. It's a brand. So they sell mm. the brand. So an actual Edward H. Land is the man that created Polaroid. He was the dude. He was actually a massive inspiration. I read his autobiography. He's incredible gentleman. And uh, he made Polaroid and he was a genius. Uh, but Polaroid is not that. Polaroid now is actually a massive corporate and an evil. And um, they sued me. So I changed my name to Mr. Snap. And then that was that for a while. And then in the end, Fujifilm oh, were they, like... They sued you under what basis? The name and my logo. Wow. Which, uh, and did, and you, you stuck to your guns, did you? You said, I'm not going to change it. tried for a bit. It. And in the end, I had to bite wow. my lip. I hated wow. it. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. wow. it was just burning my money. And I was just like, this, is, this showed that it kind of showed how certain, not all, the large corporations some of them are just scum and that's what they are some of them not all of them um anyway so i changed my name to mr snap and then eventually fujifilm i became an actual employee because they said this is better for us and mm. you so i did and then this person joined and i was effectively an employee and this lady joined uh not that it matters it's a lady a lady men but her personality was appalling because she didn't know what she was doing she didn't understand the brand she didn't even own an instax camera but do you think it's fair to say that what happened was you lost your independence 100 percent. so there's this theme yeah. of, of, of striving for independence and and a point when either you've done something for too long and you're starting to wonder what the purpose is in it yeah or you, you don't feel like you've got your independence through yeah, yeah, whatever you, medium and, and you've reached that point here. Yeah, I was creating the job over the time and then this person was basically just telling me what to do, mm. which wasn't the right things to do. That was completely what we building this brand and it was actually doing really well and we were getting noticed and there was so much ideas and adventure I had and suddenly we had this meeting and it was the most catastrophic meeting I had with Fujifilm. It was negative, it was controlling, it was almost like they, was, they were just saying bad things about how I rep and I was like, you don't have, and I was like, this person, and I said to the person at the time, I said, you, you, are compl- you don't know the brand, you don't know what you're doing. So I said, you know what? I'm not gonna then do what you want me to do, I'm gonna quit. So I handed my notice in then over Christmas and then I was like, it was yeah. At this point, I'm. This is where we are. Nearly mm. recently, this is 2017, and I was like, I'm gonna go back to Asia because <laughs> I'm gonna find a new business. So I, there's uh, there's a theme, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm gonna Asia, go. Man. I need to be in Asia. It's ahead like, of go. time. They're they are light years ahead of us. So do you want me to tell you now what happened? Yeah. So I got to Asia. I got to Bangkok. I went around Thailand. I went around parts of Japan because I've been to Japan a few times because of Fuji film, which was really cool. Um, I was just constantly on the lookout for a new product or a new business model or just something that I had not seen because I knew in 2017 at this exact type of time the, the 2015 plus you've got to have something unique you can't rebrand something that's already branded some people have done it you know but a lot of the times people want to see something new something fresh so I was looking for new products new food ideas I came across these crisps that had a sachet of sauce in them and I was like wow Get a sachet of sauce of Chris. That's mental. But then I looked into it and I was like, actually, it's not a great idea. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool, but not. Um, <laughs> and I was just like panicking because I was like, I'd quit the job. Difficult on... to reinvent something that's already great. Yeah, there was so many. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was so many things. And I was like, I started panicking because I was like, I quit Fujifilm. That was a good money earner. It was fun. I was like, you have to, you can't. I, and dad, I remember dad and my mates going, don't put pressure on yourself. And I was like, but I automatically do. I was like, I have to find, I'm not going back to England. Mm. And that was in, as I said, 2000, early 2017. I was like, I've got the whole year. I've got the rest of my life. I, I've got a certain amount of savings, but I'll work. I'll find something. And in the end, this long random adventure of different parts of Asia, I found myself 
uh, on Google because Google seems to know everything. And I Googled, I don't know why, I, I Googled virtual reality. Virtual reality was going on. It was mm. picking up 2016, 2017, and it still is picking up. Virtual reality is, ooh, that's cool. So I was like, I've got to find something virtual reality. And I was in like Thailand or something. And I was on Google on a computer in some random cafe of a beer of Chang. <laughs> and I was like, Google virtual reality Asia or something. And in the end, I found this virtual reality exhibition in Guangzhou. And Guangzhou is like a business district of China. And I was like, oh, that sounds quite cool. It's massive, apparently. Three days, thousands of people, thousands of businesses. I was like, this could be it. And I was going to go to China. So I was like, I'm going to go there. So I booked a cheap flight to Guangzhou. And I just slept, sleep in a train station because there was nowhere to stay. And it turns out in China, actually, there's not very, especially in the business district, there's not very viable places to stay for cheap. Because yeah. I still dream very being very careful of money is very difficult because it's just posh hotels or nothing <laughs> so i stayed in um i found through was it airbnb no it was on a hostel it was i think airbnb was coming out at the time but i found on this random app this um it's a pod so in japan i've stayed in a few times they call it cubes or pods and the whole idea is you stay in this almost rectangle coffin that's slightly <laughs> a, a triple size coffin and it's got lights in there and maybe a charger when you say triple size do you mean you can get three people in there or is it just yeah, you could probably fit three people yeah. there or one massive <laughs> did you person. did you rent the other two that's spaces right, yeah. I, mean, I should have i should have maybe make some money out of it. but uh so i checked in this man's living room there was like 12 of these pods it was it was disgusting i remember there was hair everywhere the pods must have been quite old it was it was a really low moment. I was like, I've, I've got to do it. There's no other option. So I remember getting in this pod like the night before the virtual reality exhibition, and I was like, okay, I've got to get out of this. So I started wandering around. There's nothing. It's so weird. It was like foggy and misty, and I was asking people like questions now and then, like you know, where can I? Where is? It? I was trying to work out where to go on the virtual reality exhibition because I couldn't work it out on the maps, and people didn't want to talk to you and. It's very random. Anyway, so I had some noodles. I went to sleep, woke up in the morning, tried to make myself as posh as possible because the one thing I had done is I got a suit made in Thailand, but I hadn't brought it because I expected China to be mad hot. China was not mad hot. Guangzhou was cold as hell in there. So I was like, oh my goodness. So I had to make like the flannel shirt. I was like tucking all my stuff in. I was like, I've got to make, clean myself up. I had my walking shoes on. So, and I was like, maybe hopefully this is like cool fashion in China. <laughs> So I rocked on, eventually found this NEC-like building, this massive building in Guangzhou. And I went in and it was mad. It was mad. It was fa it was thousands of people. But what was interesting, there was no Westerners at all. Everyone was Chinese. So I was like, that's really confusing because this is one of the biggest virtual reality fairs in the world. Why would not all the big, big boys and big girls not be here? So I was running around. A lot of people looking at me because they were like, not only I was the only white out. guy. Yeah. They were just, I think they were like, this must be a guy with a lot of money because why has he come all the way from England? So people were like, it was so weird. It was like, they were like, just um, like so nice because I think they thought I owned a massive amusement park or maybe <laughs> Alton Towers, which I kind of may have lied a little bit, even though they didn't know it. I just used the net. I was like, oh, I went to um, So I was going around and there was queues. So they would have like, um, again, I'm so sorry. I'm talking a lot here, but there was like an emulator to be the Iron Man. You're here to talk. That's okay. why you're here. <laughs> um, 
it's once you get started, isn't it? And there was like an Iron Man simulator, and I was queuing it. And it was like a forty queue, and I think a lot of people were there probably to do a business, but I bet a lot of people were there just for fun because it was sure. free entry. And uh, suddenly I got called over, and they were like, "No, no, go to the front of the queue. We want to video you doing this." And that became a trend throughout that day. It was great because I was on a high. I was like, "Woo!" And they were like, you know, just going paragliding and. I was fighting some orcs in like some medieval tower. It was all, it was all virtuality. It was mental. Like it is incredible. And then I found these like books and the whole idea there was like this, it was quite cool. There was a book and it was explaining children about how the dangers of fire. Um, And then you'd put your iPhone into one of the Google cardboard boxes at the time. And it would, the virtuality of the book would come out about fire and stuff. And that was quite cool. And I was like, that could be a good product maybe for England or firebox.com. But then it was all in Chinese. And I was like, oh my God, there's probably a lot of investment. They've got to change all of it. And then there was other products that caught me and I was, I was desperate. I was looking and looking. But what I realized is that virtual reality, I, I didn't have a venue. I couldn't take the Iron Man simulator. And these were mad money. It wasn't cheap. Uh, so I was like, I, I think I'm in, the wrong, I'm in the wrong thing, basically. So on my second day, because it was a free day, I went along and I'd already seen a lot. So I went early the, the, the day before. And I was looking and looking and looking and I went into the amusement park part and I think I just kind of lost it. And there was this boxing match going on and you like box a computer and people can see you boxing them. And then this person was like, you, do you want to do it? I was like, all right. And I just took my anger out and just like frustration <laughs> on this imaginary computerized man, like beat the crap out of it. And then I, I now and then I was sweating profusely because I'm not an energy, I'm not a, a, an exercise person. I remember taking my goggles off to have some water and literally like the, they were like giving me water. And I was looking around, there's like hundreds of people just watching this match. And I was like, just beat this guy. And people were like, woo! And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, this is so weird. So I did that and I went through the amusement park bit and I was just like, no, you, you're in the you're, you're wasting time. You're in the wrong place. So I went back to this pod and I sat there. If it was sat there, I laid there in my coffin and I was like, "No, you can't." This is it was quite early. It was about seven or six o'clock. I was like, "You can't. You've got to get out. Go get a beer. You know, revive." So I found this gaming cafe. Nothing was open. Again, it was a business district, and there was this gaming cafe hidden away in this random like building and there was like hundreds of these teenagers and old men like playing this i might have been uh, who knows age of empires world of warcraft mm-hmm. don't know what they were playing something that was hype at the time and i went to the bar and again initially they were quite rude actually i was like can i you know, have a beer please and they were just like no this is not a bar and all this but in the end i think they felt sorry for me because i looked decrepit i was literally <laughs> like a sweaty I looked disgusting. I think I was like, I just didn't know what I was doing. I think maybe I was nearly in tears. <laughs> they were like, have, we have a beer. We have a beer. So I started buying beers and I sat in this chair and I fell asleep. And then I woke up a couple of hours later and I was amongst all these teenagers and old men like looking around like, what is going on? And I was like, I realized where I was. And I was like, I had another beer. And I, I was at the time, I was like, I don't know what to do. I was like, stop looking on Google. So I whipped out my book at the time. And what I was reading, I was rereading the series of Harry Potter. And I opened up the Chamber of Secrets. How and many was, times had you read it? I've only read it. This is my f- third time right now. I'm not a good reader. Okay. So I'm rereading it for the third time right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm bad at reading. I'm not dyslexic. I'm just really bad at reading. Yeah. So it's quite hard for me. I'm not, I can't concentrate. My brain goes off. So it's on the second time. And uh, anyway, so I was going. So, but sorry, sorry. If, you're, if you're not, if you wouldn't describe yourself as a reader, but at the time this was your second time reading the book, then you love Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So I haven't read a lot of books. Yeah. I've read like some classics and stuff and horror, you know, The Shining and stuff. But I've not like read all the Terry Pratchett's or read all the, you know, 
Dickens. I've only read the odd one. Mm. So this, for me, yeah, a big moment, probably rereading a series is like, well, because normally when you, for me, you read a book, you read a book, you've read it. Mm. Um, so I was rereading it and I was on it and uh, I don't know which scene I was on and I just like had this moment. I was just like, I love, I love imagination and I love what JK has done. And I had just been a couple of months ago, actually, to or maybe half a year ago to the studios in Japan because they had the Universal Studios there. And that was a weird moment because, again, I was the only Westerner, which was really cool because it made it even more exciting. And they thought I worked there, I think. <laughs> they think I thought I was like a Malfoy lookalike because I had peroxide blonde hair at the time. And I'd been to the studios a couple of times with um, a relationship that I was in. So that was quite nice in, in London. And I always love it. I love Harry Potter and I loved it at the time and I'd love it. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan in the world in the sense I don't know everything. Goodness gracious. But anyway, I was rereading. It's just this moment. I was just like, I love this. I was just like, I love it. And I was just like, God, she's clever. God, she's clever. And then I was just like, well, I've lived in Brighton for like eight, was like seven, eight years at the time. And I was just like, why don't they have something wizardry in Brighton? And I was like, it's such a good place for businesses because that's the whole idea. I was looking for a business to bring to Brighton. Brighton is a creative and great area. Mm. And, um, and, and and let me jump in for yeah, a moment. Sorry. The, the, the area that your shop is in for people that don't know Brighton is called the Lanes. Um, yes, North Lanes. The North Lanes. Lanes. Yeah, and, and, and the North Lanes is, I, I wouldn't describe it as a shopping destination. It is a shopping destination, clearly, but it's but it's unique. It's this creative um, set of streets that kind of weave into one another, mm. and every shop is independent and unique. Mm. And then, so it's a really, really special <laughs> place, isn't it? You've got um, vegetarian shoes in there, yeah. and you've got um, a spice shop and uh, one of the best... Um, guitar and amp shops in the world, and it's rubber just, duck shop yeah, in the South Lanes. Yeah. So, so, so this is this is ex- the absolute experiential retail. Mm. Um, and I just had this moment, but it wasn't it wasn't straight away. I was like Harry Potter, and I was just like wizardry. But then I was like, there's probably some guidelines, and I was just like, but what are you even thinking? What are you actually think? I was like talking to myself. I think I think I must look crazy. I think I was just like talking to myself amongst all these teenagers, like Chinese teenagers, like looking at this guy, and I was just like. But what if I did like, I don't know, a holiday home or, or a shop? I was like, what if I could do a shop? But I was like, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't be able to do it. Anyway, so I just started like working out ideas. And I literally, again, I'm not a writer, but I got out a bit of paper and I did a spider diagram of what's good and what's great. And I got excited. And that was that moment of like, not only have I had this epiphany of something wizardry, I didn't know definitely it was going to be a shop. I didn't know it was definitely going to be a holiday home. I didn't know it was possible, but I was excited. And that for me was just like the Fujifilm thing. If you're excited about it, when I did the photography, that's what I might want to do. And I started getting well, like, oh, okay. So, there was, so your gut was talking to you. Yeah. And you were able to listen to it. I was talking you were, like you were, this. You were literally, you were, you were in, a, in a space physically and mentally. Mm. And you'd done your time because you you kind of learned a lot about what your needs were. And, um, yeah. and you were listening to where that energy came from mm-hmm. and going with it. But it felt uncomfortable. Yeah, it was different. It yeah. was not, I you know, never owned a shop. Uh, or owned a holiday home. I just knew I could do whatever I put my mind to. Um, would you like me to carry on? Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I thought, right, what I've got to do is go back to England. So I put the flight and <laughs> got out of there. And uh, I went back to England. And I remember I had to go back. Where did I go? Because I my apartment at the time I'd rented out, uh, which was the, my current uh, household. And I'd rented it. And it was for a good long time. And I was like, sugar. So I asked the people that were renting it. I was like, can you leave sooner? And they were like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. It's money though. It's money income. So I was like, okay, so at least I can think about this idea while I'm still earning some money. 
Um, and it's covering myself. So I was like, okay. And I think it was like a month and a half I wouldn't have a home for. But I was like, I can't leave Brighton. I don't want to go stay at my mum and dad's because, again, they don't live in Brighton. And also, I don't. I want to be in my own headspace. So I, I started living in a massage parlor, <laughs> which sounds very dodgy to someone that might be listening to this. It's not dodgy. It's a normal professional massage parlor. I just know the person that owns it. And they said, at nights, it's closed. You can sleep and it was very comfortable and relaxing. Uh, but in the mornings, you must leave straight away. And I would like wash my stuff at mates' houses and shower at mates' houses. And anyway, so I'm developing this idea. And what I'd come to the conclusion after seeing loads of property, because again, luckily, I had that expertise of property, I realized that the holiday home would not be the best idea. Because if you do a holiday home, it's great. One, you've got to nail the property. But two, you once you've done it once the couple or the person's checked in you can't sit and hang about with them because that's weird so um what i realized is like the shop would be more fun i could act Mm. as we were talking about earlier i could perform there i could not perform but i could be myself Mm. you know i don't put this on i'm not not eccentric fellow because i choose that's what i'm doing on purpose i just i just naturally have energy about myself so I was like, that would be great. So what I did is referring back to the very beginning of um, not doing a dodgy, basically, I contacted, um, again, there's no harm in saying it, I contacted Warner Brothers to seek, not the word permission, it wasn't that, it was to seek, is it possible and would I get told off? Because I did not want to put all my money and no. all my savings and potentially a big loan. Would I want to put all that in and then suddenly... Right now, today, I get a phone call from Warner Brothers who own the Harry Potter rights and go, well, you need to shut. Well, it's probably your experience with Polaroid. No, as well. Yes, yes, That you had that yeah. experience, so you knew that was something that you wanted to avoid. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, so I contacted them through my sisters, and in the end, basically what I established is that as there's, there is rules. Of course there is. They, it's, it's a multi-million pound, probably billion pound now business, uh, the Harry Potter franchise. So they just said, look, don't pretend to be us. 100% no, it's fine. The name's got to be right. So originally I was um, Oliver's, but they said that they would prefer something because that was quite similar to Ollivander's. And I get that, but my name is Oliver. So I proposed, could I be Oliver's Brighton? They said, that should be okay. Um, They were very, they were actually really decent. It wasn't like, I don't know. They, well, it's they, good for them, ultimately, right? I think so, because the biggest thing as well is not pretending to be them. Make it clear you're independent. So again, all my legislation and my bios, it says, you know, we're not to do with Harry Potter, which we're not. Don't have photo opportunities. So that would include, say, um, having a, a trolley come out the wall, because mm-hmm. they have that in the King's Cross and the studios. Um, and, and don't make it... Um, not just a shop so don't do events you know don't do like a spell making class or something and i i get that because that's what they do um so anyways oliver's brighton was there and 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 the ideas and then suddenly i was like well i've got to find somewhere i need to find a property now that i've kind of got not necessarily the approval i just think more like they'd gone look this is doable with this guidelines that's where we've left it basically Mm -hmm. there's guidelines that's fine so anyway so i was like okay that's fine so i'm doing that then I'm like, okay, I'm looking around. I can't find a commercial unit that's freehold because that is impossible because in Brighton you can't get freehold. And the rates and the rent on these leases and shops in the lanes is crazy. And I don't know how a lot of the businesses do it. And suddenly, through this random viewing, this guy says, of a flat that I was looking at, because I was still considering, or maybe I could do a wizard holiday home. This guy goes, well, this guy I know called Sanjar, I think he's something to about a shop at the moment. Maybe you should meet him. So I met this guy for a coffee uh and his name was sanjar and he said well just so you know i'm buying this shop an apartment in trafalgar street 42 
But I don't want the shop now. I uh, decided I actually don't want it uh, for whatever reason. He said, well, would you like to look at it? I said, oh, I'll have a look. So I went along with him and it was sick. Like it was so m- terrible, but it was cool. There was some rawness to it. It was on a corner plot. It was old, very old. Um, there was woodwork in there, which again, you could renovate. So you had original floorboards, which is what I wanted. And it was a nice size. It wasn't too big. That was at the start. I was like, oh, maybe it's too small. But in the end, it was actually a winning situation. So anyway, and we negotiated an idea but we joined on the sale so on the purchase uh, and it was a, a probate sale for those of you who don't know what probate is it's when someone dies and then a company takes it on or an estate agency for the family to sell it on mm-hmm. and it took a good few months and what was stressful at the time very stressful for me was without this shop it wouldn't work because it wouldn't i wouldn't have been able to put the caliber of Victorian detail, which is what I was basing around. Again, not to upset Warner Brothers. I want to do Victorian because that for me is oldie worldy, and coincidentally, Harry Potter is oldie worldy kind of style at, to a point. So anyway, so in the end, the sale went through, which was fantastic by the the you know by the minuscule of chance because there were so many opportunities for the family to pull out, and there was loads of problems and all this. Got the property, and before I got the property. I, on a random occurrence, was at a viewing with a friend who was looking to invest in something. And this guy was showing us around. His name was Gene. And Gene was this guy who, not only I discovered and after talking to him during this conversation, was a builder. He was a very clever man. He just had a great eye. And I said, well, I'm just about to, I'm hoping to exchange complete on a shop. And I've got a vision of what I want it to look like. Are you free? And he was like, well, I'm normally really busy, but actually, yes, I am free for a period of time for the next few months. And I was like, okay, do you want to come look at it? So he came and looked at it. I explained my idea. And he was like, I love it. I'd like to be involved. And then, boom, I had this fantastic visionary man and his boyfriend. They run this building company and they have great builders. And yes, okay, they're um, a little different and then other builders, uh, but in a great way. They have the eye and the skill, which is very rare. So we started that. And it took 60 days approximately because I knew in my mind it had to open before Christmas. And if it didn't open before Christmas, you would shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, you do not want to start on a January. And I remember we were going and going and they cracked on. I, I was a laborer for a while and I was working at a call center to keep getting some money in this terrible call center to do with internet or something. And um, I was doing that. And then I, I quit the call center because then I had to devote my time to being a laborer of Gene but then it got to the point where it wasn't labor, it was people with skills. So you've got the people going in who had to do the brick slips and the, the electrics. So I, I'm not I'm not a person. So I had to work out what to do. And he said, well, you need to find furniture. That's the thing, isn't it? Because I didn't want, I told him I don't want purpose-built stuff. I want it to look old, like real old. So I, that was my quest. So for the next week or two, I was going to all these antique places and different random units in West Sussex and across Sussex and just looking and looking and looking. Uh, and then I discovered units that were perfect. Like there was this like science unit that used to hold um, apparatus for science equipment, maybe at a college or a university or a high school. And that fit perfectly on this wall. And the shop wasn't big, but I had to take advantage of the space. I had to use every inch. Mm. Um, you know, things like the toilet. Again, it would have just been a door. But I was like, well, hang on, I'm losing a space of a door. Doors are a lot of space in this shop. So I was like, well, can I put a bookcase on it? It's like, yeah, yeah, of course you can. So he did a bookcase and it's Amazing. a bookcase toilet, which was great. Again, it wasn't on purpose. I didn't go, I want a bookcase toilet. It just happened. Um, so just so we're clear, the bookcase opens to reveal... My toilet, yeah. I yeah. go in there for a toilet. So <laughs> rather than just a door, I got a bookcase. It wasn't purpose. I was just trying to use every inch yeah, of yeah, yeah. wall space. Um, anyway, so that happened. 
And the final piece of the furniture before we opened, I needed to display the wands. So I sell about 700 products and the biggest thing is wands because that is the most profound object, I guess, that suggests you're a wizard or witch is a wand. So um, I was like, looking, looking, looking. I was like, I don't want them to be in glass cabinets because if I'm a child, and I always like to put my shoes, like myself in shoes of a child, like, would I, would I want to touch them? I want to look at them. I don't want it to be behind glass. This is going to be my biggest potential seller or most interesting seller. And I found this around this antique shop around the corner and it had this wooden unit. And I looked at it. It didn't jump out straight away and I was looking at it like, that's weird. And then I was like, hang on. And it had it's so difficult without visually seeing it, but it's almost like, imagine 90 plus holes and they're at a slight angle and you could put something in those holes and and it even had the branding. I didn't do this. It had the branding lightning. Wow. And I was like, Harry Potter has a lightning bolt on his forehead. <laughs> and then it had a phrase and a caption. I'm so annoyed because I always don't remember the wording exactly because again, my brain is terrible, but it says something like, Design to your individual needs or something. I was like, oh my God, this is it. So I got the unit, like 40 quid, negotiated because I'm a salesman. Got it back, started putting the ones in, put the labels on the ones who the one belongs to. It was beautiful. And that was the center of the shop and that was the final jigsaw. Um, and then of course, before all that or during the process, I've skipped a step here, staff. And staff is very important, of course, very important. I know I can do it because I believe in myself. So I did an interview process where... Did you have the rabbit at this point? I just said, yes, that's another point. So I adopted a rabbit during the process of buying the shop because I thought that it would be funny to have an animal. And when you go to Hogwarts, you take an owl, a toad, or a cat. And I thought, well, I don't want those. I, I like cats and I like toads and, I, and, and owls, but I'd, I'd have a garden and stuff. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to get a rabbit because uh, I love rabbits. So I bought a rabbit. And uh, I adopted a rabbit. So from London, I went to London. There was a hundred of these Neverland Dwarf grey rabbits. And Neverland Dwarf is a, a breed of rabbits, the smallest breed in the world. And this lady had a hundred, as you do. She's a, a breeder or adopter or whatever. And I think there were, it wasn't, I think she was shutting down. Anyway, it was adoption. It was a good thing. I wanted to save a rabbit, basically. And uh, I was like, it's really hard because you look at animals, it's so beautiful. But which one do you choose? And suddenly, this one was like hopping about and it was tiny and it had a white nose. And I was like, that's the one. So I adopted this rabbit. I called a Luna Lepore, which means in Latin, the moon charm. Because in Harry Potter world, Latin is a big thing with JK. And uh, yeah, so I got this rabbit. I've got the rabbit. I take the rabbit. I go back. I moved into my apartment. Back in. I'm creating a database for the products. I've got to find staff. So I'm looking and I'm like, how am I going to do this? So my social media had been building. And I've always been good at social media because I did a lot of it for Fujifilm. So I decided to rather than just send a CV and blah, 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 I thought, well, I'll do it differently. So I said, what I'd like you to do, I did a post and I said something, would you like to work, would you like to become my wizard's apprentice uh, on this post on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter? And it said, legend has it, Luna Lepore, my rabbit, uh, she has magical powers. And at midnight on a full moon, if you stroke her white nose, you will be granted a wish. So that was it, the synopsis. And then I said, what would your wish be and why? And that was it. I was like, and then people were like commenting, like, do I do CVs and that? And I just put a little bio in it. I just put, send in what you like. 
That was basically it. So then I started getting people sending manuscripts of like a story to do with the rabbit. I got um, people who did drawings, beautiful drawings, watercolors, um, you know, acrylic paint, uh, someone who adapted a VHS cassette to be a book. Uh, someone, as I said, did a manuscript of this incredible story, a funny story. Uh, people had done videos of them delivering it dressed as an owl. Uh, we had scrolls turn up I had wow. at the time with like, you know, wax seals. And I was like, oh, this is great. What what made you want to try and hire like this? Uh, I didn't want to, oh, you're going to be hanging around loads. I wanted someone that was a bit different. I wanted someone to want to do it. And I yeah. knew it was a special job because there's not a lot of wizarding shops out there. <laughs> so I knew it would be popular. So after a thousand <laughs> of these like, <laughs> scrolls and stuff, and I was like, oh my God, what have I done? And uh, I found a few, and um, I, I did again, did the interview process. I met them, and it, a lot of certain ones we just clicked in a really cool way. And so that was that was sorted over time. And then that, that person I first clicked with, then we looked for others. Uh, and I wanted a few, I wanted a few part timers because I didn't know how busy the shop was going to be. I didn't know how I was going to control it, you know. And you learn, of course. But I would prefer to be prepared than unprepared. Uh, and finally, the day had come after this lengthy story I've told on November the 11th, 2017. And I, coincidentally, the builder Gene just said, we can be open on the 11th the 11th. Now, obviously, I know that's Armistice Day. So I said, well, okay, that's fine. And I, I want to, if that's the earliest day, I want to open. I don't want to shoot myself in the, the foot and open later because, you know, to be open, you want to get money. So I was like, well, out of respect for Armistice Day, I'll open at midday. Because obviously, if you want to do the minute of silence, I don't want it to be about me. I want it respect to everyone that's uh, fallen and devoted their lives so i decided midday so on social media i said at midday oliver's brighton will open cool and that was that and then i got loads of newspapers like a few of them not loads a few like local ones the argus brighton hove independent bbc radio sussex i did a few interviews leading up to this um got the shop ready just in the nick of time like most people probably were fine with shops or businesses in general and uh he got these display cabinets and we got all the stock and we put it in there and the builder gene was like good luck and he like literally left there's still things to do like the toilet had been finished and stuff and it got to the morning and i was there from about i think it was a six or seven and i uh, decided at the beginning i wanted to wear a uniform but not just a generic one so i found this three-piece purple velvet suit which was incredibly hard to find because at brighton you think you'd very easily <laughs> find a three-piece purple velvet suit but apparently there was actually a very limited number of people <laughs> except Willy Wonka and maybe if you work for Cadbury's that like three-piece purple velvet suits. So I found that and I was like, right, I'm ready. Here we go. So I went to the shop. I met the staff. I'd given initial training, kind of like a guideline. The tills were there. Again, like all the stock was there. There were still things to do, cleaning up and all that. And um, it got to about, I think it was 11-ish. And the Argus turned up because they said, well, we wanted to do a photo of the, the opening. I said, that's cool. And it started raining. I was like, oh, my goodness. This is not a good start. It was a Saturday, though. So I was like, okay, that's the best thing. Uh, I think that's why Gene recommended it. Was it a Sunday? No, was it a Saturday? Would it have been a Sunday? Because Remembrance Day is on a Sunday, isn't it? Was it Armistice Day? I think it was a Sunday. Or whatever. It was a Saturday or Sunday. Again, I'm pulling with details you've probably seen from this podcast. Anyway, so I got to the point of the opening. It was 11.30, 11.40. And I looked outside. There was no one. I was, I was absolutely freaking out because i was like i've done all this i've put all my money in i've got a big loan from the bank I'm <laughs> oh my goodness i've got all this stock i've got this staff i've got the argus there <laughs> and suddenly at quarter two one of the girls said you have a couple of people outside and i was like great that's awesome uh what are we talking like you know, five ten that'd be great just just someone 
And uh, they went, no, you've got to look. And this was about 5-2 now, which is about open the doors. Uh, I had a ribbon ready with some big scissors because <laughs> I thought it'd be funny. And I looked outside before I was going to do the ribbon cutting and it was mad. Like, it's an alleyway. So it's Trafalgar Terrace is next to my shop. And it was zigzag like a snake. It went all the way down the alleyway. And, and I, there was people everywhere. And roughly hundreds. in the end, it was it was hundreds because it was a four-hour queue. We had a three <laughs> to four-hour queue on average wow. at points. <clears throat> Luckily, it went down because that's what started panicking. At the time, it just shocked me. I was like, oh, my goodness. So I cut the ribbon and people started coming in. But again, immediately I knew. I can't just let everyone in because you wouldn't fit and it would be havoc. So we said at the door, it was 10 at a time or something, uh, max. So we started doing that, and then someone came to the till, a little girl who travelled from Germany for the store, and even for the that, opening for the opening. And I was like, that oh must my be God. really it humbling. It was a great feeling and very humbling, but pressure because yeah. I was like, she doesn't like this store. That's that's savage because Germany is far. It's not down the road. <laughs> so anyway, so she said, she said uh, hello. She's like, um, I'd like to buy Luna Lovegood's wand, and I was like, okay, of course, of course you can. Wow, first wand sale. And I looked behind me with all my wand boxes and I realized I did the biggest faux pas imaginable. Most wands are unique boxes and some of them have names on the top. But from the edge of the box, you can see is a color. But some colors like Luna Lovegood's is red. There's about 12 different characters of a red box. We had at least four or five of each character. Suddenly we're talking about... I was freaking out. Luckily, after finding it, which was a really scary thing, most people wanted generic ones, Harry's, Hermione's, and they come with unique boxes, which I know what they look like. Anyway, the day was mad. The queue was from start to the end of 6 p.m. Uh, yes, it rained. I went outside with jelly slugs and a bowl of Bertie Bots every flavor beans because the only thing I was aware of is I was amazed at the people that turned out, but I felt bad because people were standing out in the rain with these children that waned sometimes up to as an hour sometimes a few hours lucky the average in the end i think was half an hour to an hour but still that's a lot for a shot but there was no complaints everyone was lovely there was one person i think it was one lady that kind of took me aback because she was like um uh, everyone was saying amazing things like really nice things which was lovely and then this one lady was like you know i think you've, you've created a shambles here like you don't know what you're doing and and i was just like well i'm really sorry you feel that way like I only want a certain amount of people in the shop. Not about me. If you've got your little child there, I want them to enjoy it. Yeah. You don't want it too scary and too busy because you won't be able to see anything. So lucky she kind of understood. But anyway, whatever. People are people. Um, so that happened. Mad day. And then ever since then, uh, we're open normally seven days a week, 10 till six. I'm there about six days a week. Uh, we've had over a thousand five-star reviews. So in the first week, we got a hundred five-star reviews on uh, Facebook and TripAdvisor. Uh, we got onto TripAdvisor, which was really cool. I didn't know shops could go on TripAdvisor, but now I know you can. And uh, slowly meant our way up. Now we're at number two of TripAdvisor. What's number shops. one? A very clever man called Gus, who owns Gus Stamps in the South Lanes. Huh. And he is been there a long time, maybe 20 years. He's very clever because he's a stamp expert. People who collect stamps generally are very... I think they love to deal with someone who knows what they're talking about. I think so he knows. So re it's really, really nice. I've been in there. He, he's got like mad amount of five-star reviews. So fa mm. fair play, fair play. And maybe one day he might shut. I don't know if he will. But <laughs> I, I'd prefer to be second to someone that's yeah, amazing course, than second to someone that doesn't deserve it. Mm. Uh, and we've got, as I said, over a thousand five-star reviews or about 1,500, I think now, across TripAdvisor, Google and Facebook. Number two on TripAdvisor. And then it came up to this award ceremony, which was, again, I wasn't aware of this. I've never owned a shop. I don't, I don't really know how to 
do loads of things to be honest but anyway and um there was brighton and hove independent brighton, yeah brighton and hove independent business awards or brighton, no just brighton and hove business awards not independent so i think it could be chains and uh we applied because you apply and we got narrowed down to startup of the year and uh, customer service of the year and this is only after about six months so we went uh, through the different rounds. So I think I think they na- they narrow it down, and then suddenly we got emails on both saying, "Congratulations, you have been selected um, to be one of the three. So this is out of all the businesses for startup and customer service. So we went and did a photo shoot and a video about the award ceremony. And what it is, it's basically different categories of awards for businesses in Brighton and Hove that have done well, basically in that category. Um, so we went on to the award ceremony. I took all my friends, like my group, like my main group, that like was like four or five of us and the staff. Um, and we went along and, uh, it was crazy. Cause I, like, again, like, I don't know, like, I don't know what was going on. You know, I, I don't know what was happening. Um, yeah. So anyway, so we're there and it, we got to the rounds and they go, right. Okay. So, you know, it's like the, the Oscars. And they said that the, the customer service one was the first one they announced after the, you know, of, of my categories. And unfortunately, we just lost out to the ship hotel. There was me, the bagel man, and ship hotel. And I was gutted, if I'm honest, because customer service is my thing. I think that's my top thing. But then it came to startup of the year. And I thought, my brain, my mate said, after like five, ten glasses of wine, I was like nervous. Because he was like, if you win this, though, you can only win this one once. once. Yeah. So he was like, this is the one you want. You don't need customer service now. You want the startup. Because once it's gone, it's gone. You're not a startup next year. And it came to it. And we were getting some really incredible uh, competitors. Uh, There was two other companies. And they were brilliant as well. And uh, and they said, you know, congratulations, Oliver's Brighton. So I went up. And uh, I was I was, was shell shocked. Like even now, like, I love it because I have an award. I've never won an award in my <laughs> life. I've never won an award, and uh, I've got that in the shop, and that was brilliant. And then that just again was like a real like this is awesome. I love it. I love nurturing it, and and that's yeah. And then that's um. You you said yeah. you said about you took all your friends. What yes. what role have those people played in your success and who who you've become? Uh, massive yeah I think like I think everyone you're very very I can use that word again but you're very lucky if you've got a group of friends whether a group is two or four or five or one if you've got someone that is in your life that will listen to you about your problems or help you with your problems you are lucky fact there's some people out there who have no friends Hmm. which is savage and I don't know how they get through life and a lot of people or aren't willing to ask for support yeah. Ask for help. Yeah. Or yeah, they might have friends that maybe are their best friends, but they don't ask. I don't know. Everyone has different relationships on different levels, and some people are very blunt, and some people are very honest. Me and my friends, luckily, are very blunt and very honest, or just I am as well. Um, but they're great. And with my ex now, but best friend still, uh, she was amazing, and her name was Chloe. Or is Chloe? She's still alive. Uh, <laughs> she's she's still there. Um, she's away at the moment, but yeah, and she was mad supportive, like you know, like incredible supportive. And my best mates were supportive, so I took them. And I paid for the tickets because at least I could do. Because you've heard me yap on about ones and business ideas and all this yapping on all the time. You know, I get obsessed with things. It's like had they had they had to um, help to continue to say it's going to be okay and encourage you to, to do it or was that something that has just always been there for you um yeah i think to a point like i wasn't i've never really been negative about the business i mean i think they've just been more it's been there like it's just nice like just to have like, a group of mates we've talking about business or not you know it's nice to be able to okay do you know what let's switch off and talking about business now let's have a pizza 
and watch film and Netflix. You know, yeah. for people, that's I think that's the biggest thing for anyone. Like if you you could you could have the biggest business in the world, you could own Google, you could own you know Ferrari or whatever. But if you've got no mates, what's the point? You can't share funness or or your time where you're not working with no one. No, yeah. that would be very lonely. Well, this this came out not that long ago in a, in another podcast you know that that the sharing the experience is you know whether it's a negative one or a positive one sharing yeah. the experience is it's part of the experience it, it, well it's it's just a better thing yeah yeah, yeah. massive and just to wrap up so um what would you say what are the key things that you recognize in yourself that allow you to um take the world on in the way that you are be different be independent um and and then and then have what you've what you've, what you've created for yourself i think it's two things i think putting yourself in the situations which are uncomfortable that's the biggest thing i think for me or the, the, the things i mentioned the different stories i'm not done not necessarily the norm it's more like don't want to go to asia on my own yes but at the same time it's scary <laughs> never done it uncomfortable do it though um do i want to choose having a job uh, or go to education. I decided job, which again was scary because I was like, is that the right thing? Because everyone else is doing that. Um, so that's my first point. And then the only other second point is more to a point because I do care what people think. Like e.g. customers, who care what customers think. But a lot of part of me and my personality is I'm lucky in the sense that I, I'm not bothered that much. I don't mind if people feel I'm weird. Like, I kind of like that. I mm. like being a bit unique. It's good. Like I don't care. I don't... I don't worry as much. I'm very, <laughs> sometimes too much. But so my that, mouth that, that's just... about coherence, isn't it? That's about being yourself. Yeah, just like so not worrying about being about doing it your way. Yeah, and then yeah. the third thing and final thing for me would probably be the energy. You, you said there were two things. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I've added, <laughs> I've added it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the energy? I'm I glad think... you've said that though, because I've picked up on that the whole way yeah. through. Yeah. So passion and energy. So I think it's kind of like a bundle. This third one. It's like you've got one. You've got to have. You've got to have energy about you. You've got to like. Where's where's the momentum but two you've got to have passion if you don't have the passion and energy nothing's going to work if you've got the best idea in the world in my opinion and i'm not like i'm trying to talk like i own something that's madness that you know again like google or something but if you have the best idea in the world if you haven't got the drive or the passion or the energy or that spark you, you've got to make it. I'm not saying everyone will automatically have that, but you've got to believe. So find a way of getting yes. yourself energized. And and partly that's about doing it your way, isn't it? Because I think, you hmm. know, you, you if you try and do it other people's way, mm-hmm. you don't feel it. Yeah. So, so why not do it your way? Yeah. I think if you don't get excited about going to work or you don't get excited about whatever this idea is, you know, if, if the whole idea with this podcast is someone's listening and they go, oh, I wanted to do that. If you want to do it, do it. Do yeah. it, man. Like, yeah. you know, so what? The world's messed up right now. There's a lot going on. Well, going back so, to Fuji, I mean, I know we're wrapping up now, but, yeah. but going back to Fuji, that's what you did. You created the job. You said, this is the way I want it. Yeah, and, grab and, it. And they said, yeah, great. Yeah. So, you know, you found a way. Yeah, but it took a long time. Of getting energized. Yeah, but it's, it's, you've got to have the, the drive. You've got to do it. Like that Fuji film, prime example, that took ages to get that job i didn't just go oh can i do this job and I go yeah like yeah. it took a lot of pa- so you've got to have the energy the drive you've got to motivate yourself to motivate yourself to achieve that end goal of whatever it is and, so- and i just want to throw another thought in that as an extension of what you're saying that if um if you're listening to this podcast then you're already really fortunate because you've got a device that allows you to listen to a podcast and some time that allows you to so- search yeah. this stuff out 
um, which also means you really should go and do that thing that you care about so much because a lot of people don't have that choice. So it's, a, it's not going to be that bad. Go and go and do it. Get uncomfortable. Make it your own. Yeah. Energize yourself. So, Oliver, thank you so much. Um, where can people find you? What, what, what t- t- just to remind people of where the shop is and then what, all, where do they follow you online? All the info is oliversbrighton.co.uk. You can search on any social media platform, Oliver's Brighton. Uh, Oliver'sBrighton.co.uk has all the info of where I am, uh, brief snippets of videos. But my address is 42 Trafalgar Street, which is a one minute walk from the Brighton train station. And if you love Harry Potter or you're interested, um, then go check it out because it's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a wrap, guys. Thank you. Cheers. That's it, folks. For show notes, head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links, a quick summary, and you can also explore other conversations. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please tell your friends, give us a good rating, and remember to subscribe. We're also really keen to hear your feedback, so please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on Twitter. You can tweet us at lifedonediff, that's double F. If you fancy something different in your life, check out Do Something Different. It's really simple. Head over to www.dsd.me, go to the pro collection, choose a program that suits your goal. That could be being happier, more emotionally intelligent, or even quitting smoking. And then you're off. You'll be sent some small steps that stretch your comfort zone and help you achieve your goals. Enjoy. And until next time, keep on living life differently.